Well, good morning. I'd just like to say before I start, if you would consider praying for the, the Franklin Graham I Love You tour. It is starting tonight in Joliet, Illinois, and it will be in St. Louis on Tuesday at the Worldwide uh, Racetrack over in Madison, Illinois. I will be serving over there as a counselor. That means that if someone stands up and wants to commit their life to Christ or whatever, I need to hook up with them and talk to them and pray with them. And so God has some type of divine appointment for me on Tuesday that I don't know right now. So I wish that you would uh, continue to pray for me, that I would say the right things to that person, and uh, which should be a joyful event for someone who wants to turn their life, maybe for the first time, or rededicate their life to Christ. So I'd ask that you'd be praying for me on Tuesday specifically uh, at that event. So today we're going to continue our study on kingdom stewardship. I talked about that last week, and it's based on the book by Tony Evans, titled Kingdom Stewardship. And as a reminder, what is a kingdom steward? Well, it is believers who faithfully oversee the protection and the expansion of the assets God has entrusted to them on his behalf. So last week, last week we talked about the, the first, the foundation and the scope of kingdom stewardship. And today we're going to talk about the approach and the benefits of that. So the first approach is the primacy. Now, did you know there are certain things God cannot do? For example, God cannot lie. Lying is outside his ability and nature. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Another thing God cannot do is he cannot stop being God. He is the same in essential being and attributes yesterday, today, and forever. It tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 8. He also cannot sin or cause us to sin. It tells us in James 1:13. And there's one more thing God cannot do is God cannot be second. He must be first. In our call to worship, Pastor David mentioned Matthew 6:33, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. God will audit his position in people's lives. He will audit each of us to see if he truly holds the placement of first over all things. Now the priority of a kingdom steward must always be God the king. God wants and deserves to be first in all areas of your life. For starters, God demands to be first in your affections. Revelations 2 verse 4 states, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now he doesn't chastise them for not loving him at all. The love is still there. It's just not first. Second, God wants to also be first in your worship. In the New Testament, worship was shifted to Sunday, the first day of the week, in honor of 
Jesus rising from the dead on the resurrection day. But we're also told giving was also moved to the first day of the week. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 states, On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. And third, God wants us to always pray to him first. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 states, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. God simply wants us to pray to him first, to talk to him first, to consult with him first. We are to consult him through his word, the Bible. God's word holds the answer to every question. Which brings us to giving. Giving to God first reveals the level at which you honor him in your heart. The tithe was established as a tangible way of demonstrating recognition of God as the owner and source of all. Yet in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. It's really not a good idea to rob the source of all things. When you rob God, you're robbing yourself. God wants you to trust him. He wants you to act in faith. He gives you an opportunity to do all this through the tithe and the offering. Now the tithe is what we are instructed to give, which is 10%. The tithe establishes our recognition as God, as our sovereign source. Now the offering is above and beyond the tithe. Many places in scripture call this free will offering. Now until you've given the tithe, you haven't given an offering. Giving is an act of worship and reflects our view of God. It should be made to express our trust, the need for gratitude to God, who is the source of all that and all that we possess. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says simply, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the second approach is the perspective. Now, when it comes to the subject of kingdom stewardship, far too many believers just don't get the point due to their perspective. God has given each of us a certain amount of time and talent and treasure to manage. But when we decide that we are the owners or we act like the owners, we've missed the point. Now, our morning scripture that David mentioned in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10, has some very powerful verses. And the very first verse, verse 6, said simply, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Combining these two things increases results, otherwise known as 
great gain are true riches, but not necessarily money. What is godliness? Godliness is simply a lifestyle and one seeks to please God. This is simply reflecting the character of God in all that you do and all that you say. Maintaining a heart of dis maintaining a heart of contentment can be challenging in a culture comprised primarily of discontentment. Satan has done a number on us, stroking the embers of discontentment, trapped in a spirit of want, or lack, or loss, or envy, or even jealousy. He can keep you from God's gift of great gain. What is contentment? Well, contentment means to be on ease on the inside, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. It has to do with an inner trust and dependence upon God in our present circumstances. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is like to be in need. And I know what it is like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Now, some people think that just more money, more riches would solve everything. What we learned in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 to 10, the Bible says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, in this passage, God does not condemn being rich. What is being condemned is the wrongly placed desires for riches. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says these powerful words. It says, whoever loves money never has enough money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. It's not the money that produces the snare that leads to destruction. It is the love of money that produces it. So without contentment, the love of money will lead a person down the path to ruin and all sorts of evil. Let me just say this. If your financial life is going up, but your spiritual life is going down, you are ensnared by the love of wealth and money. A misplaced value of the love of money is revealed when a person prays for more cash than better character. Or if a person treats someone with money better than someone without it. 
are when a person robs God to spend on themselves. Now the third approach is the profession. Some people would call this work, recreation, volunteerism, whatever you want to call it, but you know, we all have a kingdom over which we rule. In fact, we all have servants. We call them appliances. When they don't work, we get them repaired and we toss them out and we buy new ones. And so I wonder sometimes if God doesn't feel like that about us. You know, the subject of work and the theology of work began in the garden. Before sin existed, there was no definition of work where God was not included. Productive work is one of the primary means of fulfilling the creation mandate for us to exercise dominion over his creation. In addition to every aspect of work, God also instituted a day of rest and enjoyment. Now, God did not need to rest, but he rested fully to enjoy what he had done all week. Thus, he gave us a Sabbath rest as well to allow us time for the enjoyment of his creation. But as a result of sin and the curse, which the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, 17 and 18, we now live and work in a cursed environment. Multiple what I call thorns and thistles have grown up in the workplace. First, we have the thorn of injustice, where people are put in work environments that are simply not safe or fair. And these environments are all over the world. Another thistle is that of greed. This is where people seek to accumulate goods and money and position and power illegitimately or at the expense of and the well-being and safety of others. And then there's a third thistle I would call the, which is often the mismanagement of employees by employers. And finally, there's a fourth thistle that I would just call laziness or irresponsibility. We probably have all seen these in our work lives. When you go to work or when you go to recreation or when you go to volunteer, you need to throw yourself in total dedication because you serve the king of kings. Stop leaving God here at church. Take him with you to work or whatever your activities are. Now we're going to spend a few minutes talking about benefits. Everybody likes to talk about benefits, and specifically we're going to talk about rewards. Rewards. You know, airlines have reward system. If you're in the position of sales in your job, you probably have bonuses and things that you can get. You know, I've gone to some stores, and if I spend a certain amount of money, I'm given a card, kind of like a reward, that the next time you come, you can spend it here at Target or at Home Depot. Or since I went to Texas Roadhouse, if I bought something, here's $5 extra. We all like those kind of things, don't we? We like to be rewarded. But salvation is free. Salvation by grace alone, apart from works, through personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, is what is free that we can all believe in. The Bible declares this truth in many places. 
And once a person is born again, God does have an incentive clause. He has rewards for us. I'm going to talk about a few of those. The first reward is answers to prayers. 1 John 3.22 states, And receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. No, we have to obey his commands and do what pleases him. Manage what God has given to you according to his will and commandments, and you will see prayers answered. Now, the second reward is the fulfillment of God's promise to meet your needs. Again, God's promise is contingent upon you operating as a cheerful and a generous steward. Philippians 4, 19 states, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It didn't say our wants, it said our needs. Our third reward is divine guidance. We need this. With all the options and opportunities and, and opposition that exists in the world of work, career, investments, pleasure, and business, we need divine guidance. When you make your decisions and act like a kingdom steward, God will place heaven's wisdom into your ideas. And the way he does this is with the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fourth reward is living a purpose-filled life instead of an empty one. Ephesians 2.10 states, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, Rick Warren, about 20 years ago, made a famous book on the purpose-driven life. A whole book on that subject. We studied that here at church. A purpose-filled life, not an empty one. And the fifth reward is emotional stability. Stress and worry cripple millions every day. And what do we worry about? We worry about our health. We worry about our money. We worry about crime. We worry about our family and many other things. God tells us not to worry but we all still do. Worry occurs when you reach the point where you have done all that you can, but you continue to function as if there's more that you can do about the situation. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, oh, you of little faith. And he talks to us like that every day too, I'm sure. Now, reward six is experiencing divine reversals where God turns things around in your life. Satan seeks to rip you off through stealing your peace and your provisions. God's response in John 10.10 says, when he's talking about the thief, he's talking about Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
if you are again in right alignment with God's will, you will see God turn things around. Now the second benefit that I want to talk about is, it's called the release, but we're going to really talk about the topic of money. Money. It's a major issue in Scripture. Eleven of the 39 parables Jesus talked about were discussing the concepts of money. And when we act like owners, we become enslaved to the God of wealth, making us enemies of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, when I think of money, I think of something I call the four P's, or the letter, that all start with the letter P. Planting, planning, prioritizing, and praying. So what are these things, quickly? Planting involves investing what you have in God's kingdom, giving to God first. Planning is you establishing some short and long-term goals or plans. Prioritizing involves discerning between wants and needs. And finally, praying, well that sounds simple, but after you've done the first three, after you've planted and plan and prioritize, you will know what to pray for, and you will be able to talk to God in your prayer specifically because you have planted, planned, and prioritized your financial resources. Now, once you've established this foundation through the four Ps, you're able to wisely handle your money according to the next three steps. Giving, saving, spending. Giving. Giving can be a difficult difficult concept even for believers. This is, this is establishing your recognition of God as your source. Now it's been estimated that less than 20% of Christians tithe. Now when we fail to live out God's principle in regards to stewardship and in particular giving, we fail to reap God's blessing with regard to reward and provision. Now, savings is the next thing. First we're to give, then we're to save. Now, saving is future-oriented. Debt, an illegitimate debt, not debt for your home, but debt that you make, credit card debt or stuff that you just keep running up, is past-oriented. It's already happened. You're trying to figure out how to pay for it. Biblical principles on money include not only saving for yourself, but also saving for your descendants. It tells us in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, the majority of believers today, unfortunately, are one crisis situation from declaring bankruptcy, saving is usually at a, is now at an all-time low. And many people in 2020 were, were caught with the COVID virus and the financial shutdown, and they were in a bad financial situation for lack of savings. Savings is critical. 
Now, spending is what you have left after giving to God and saving a portion of your money. But don't go spending all the money that you have on everything and anything. The Bible also has principles related to your spending habits as well. You need a budget. And without one, you will not be able to make the most of your money. Proverbs 16.3 states, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. In other words, no plans means there's nothing to ask God to help out with. You need to have a plan. And it's also important to leave room in your budget for helping others. You remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. If God has blessed you, bless others. The definition of blessing is being able to enjoy and extend the favor of God in your life. Acts 20.35 says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now the final benefit is reclaiming. We are all concerned about theft. When I was 12 years old, my parents' house was broken into on a Friday night. House, all the stuff turned upside down. And for several months, that affected me, a 12-year-old. When Brenda was in her late teens, the purse was snatched right off her arm by someone who ran off and took it. That affects you. Theft is essentially an unauthorized intrusion into our world, home, our identity, our surrounding, in order to take from us what is rightfully ours. Yet as people steal from us in the physical realm, Satan and his demons steal from us in the spiritual realm. For many of us, he's stolen our joy. Others' peace. Still others, their dreams, their relationship, their dignity. Maybe in your case, Satan has stolen your purpose or maybe your health. Possibly Satan has maneuvered you out of some financial blessing God intended for you to have. Maybe he has tricked you into hoarding and using your assets only for yourself. Again, Satan is the master thief. Again, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But God knows how to preserve your stolen stewardship. God has solutions for you that you can't even dream of or think about. But it's up to you to be obedient throughout the process. That's the hard part, to be obedient, to put him first, to put our trust in him. Reclaiming, though, your stewardship involves engaging sometimes in spiritual warfare. It tells us in 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5, 
For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, the enemy has been defeated, and God knows exactly how you are to get back what the enemy has stolen. So our challenge is to get up each day and affirm God's ownership along with your commitment to serve him as a faithful manager to impact your life for his glory, your good, the benefit of others, and the advancement of his kingdom. Again, align your thoughts each morning, acknowledging God's ownership over every area of your life. Let's begin by stewarding our time and talents and our treasures entrusted to us by our Creator. In Galatians 2.20, these powerful words I will close with, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loves me. And he loves me, and he loves you. Begin your day with a prayer and focusing on God's word. Let's close today with a prayer. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'm going to use the same prayer that I used last week because I think it's a great prayer, and I hope that it would be powerful in your lives. Let us, let us pray. Lord, you gave us life. You gave us today. We thank you for it, and we turn this day over to you. Have your way in our thoughts. Have your way in our time. Have your way in our talents. Have your way in our dreams. Have your way in our work. Have your way in the use of the financial resources that you have entrusted to us. Have your way with our words. Have your way with our relationships. Lord, everything about this day we hand over to you. Guide us because you own us. We place ourselves in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.